Artistic Whispers Productions presents Down from 10 A Country House Mystery Written and Performed by J. Daniel Sawyer Author contact information at www.jdsawyer.net Featuring the vocal talents of Philippa Ballantyne T. Morris Kitty Nakian Nathan Lowell Miss Calendar Nobilis Reed Christiana Ellis Chris Lester With original music by Danny Shade This podcast contains adult language, sexual situations, and bizarre humor. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, this is Chris Lester. I play Jeremiah in Down From Ten, and I am the master of the Metamore City universe at www.metamorecity.com. You're listening to episode 5 of Down From Ten, and this is the story so far. The first evening of the Xanadu retreat saw our heroes settling, sometimes uncomfortably, into a vacation that might turn out to be more than they've bargained for. In the dark of the night, a mysterious figure exchanged messages over a computer with persons unknown and received an instruction. Proceed. What that means is anyone's guess. But as dawn breaks, it's hard to believe that anything sinister is really going on. After all, the mountains in winter are such a pleasant place. Chapter 4 E-9 Morning Morning broke across the mountains and flooded the canyon, the irregular peaks to the east spilling over with sunlight like a lake cresting its dam. As the light came, the canyon glinted eerily as if it had been laminated with a thin layer of silver. During the night, the warm air rising up from the low valley had settled between the low pressure up top and the chill that covered the mountains, melting the snow as it fell only to have it refreeze on contact with the trees, the ground, and the buildings. The layer of ice sealed the manor like saran wrap. Kevin neither knew nor cared about any of this. With his bedclothes tossed and piled in a cacophony of uselessness, he sprawled on his bed with his face hanging off the edge, and knew only two things. He was cold, much colder than he preferred to be when he slept, and the soft light filtering in through the frost-covered window was fucking with his groove. Or ohm, or chi, or soul, or whatever the hell you called it when the external world whapped you upside the head with that cosmic two-by-four that insane people like Carol referred to innocuously as... Morning. He fought against it as valiantly as anyone could. The first time, it woke him up by hitting him in the face, and he retaliated with judicious use of a pillow to shade his eyes. The second time it woke him, it had help from a pair of giggling weirdos running down the hallway, anyone who rose before ten o'clock on a day when she didn't have meetings or classes qualified for the high pantheon of weirdos, right up there with Tiny Tim and Elizabeth Bathory, and he'd retaliated by turning his back on the window and putting the pillow over his ears. By the third time, when he'd thrashed and cursed and trashed his bed in his sleep so badly that he woke up hanging half off the mattress... He finally gave it up. The clock, which clearly didn't know what was good for it, stubbornly insisted that the hour was best described with a large nine and two little zeros. 
double and triple checking it with threatening gazes didn't convince it to change its chintzy digital tune, so in the end there was nothing to do but to roll over and slide to the foot of his bed. The rooms in Carol's house were remarkably well insulated. If it hadn't been for the window, Kevin doubted the room would have cooled at all during the night. Unfortunately, the air outside was below freezing, so he couldn't sleep with the window open like he preferred to do back home in Phoenix. Trapping the air in the small room all night had left the nauseating smell of sweat and stale alcohol on everything. Even through the taste of morning breath in his mouth, it was enough to make him gag. He pulled himself to his feet and staggered to the window, but when he threw the latch and pushed upwards, all he got was the sound of ice cracking. The window itself wouldn't budge more than a few centimeters. Kevin didn't dare attempt to smell himself to decide if he was presentable for breakfast. If even his sheets and room smelled like they'd been having sex with a wino, he wasn't going anywhere without a shower. Not willing to brave the cold hardwood in the hallway with his toes, Kevin yanked on his socks, pulled the door open, wandered down the hall one door, then across to his left, to the bathroom. He pushed the door open, shuffled blindly inside, and closed it behind him. He heard someone behind him sputter. He turned around to see Adele, her sweats around her ankles and her flannel PJ top hanging down past her hips on either side of the toilet. Something registered to Kevin as being not quite right, and Adele seemed to have the same impression. She silently chewed on the air as if trying to figure out how her speech apparatus worked. Kevin blinked a few times, waiting for his brain to wake up enough to figure out what exactly he was seeing that didn't fit. Adele was sitting before him. Okay, so far so good. And she wasn't properly dressed. Okay, not unusual at a retreat. Besides, most people wouldn't consider his socks and skin get-up sensible formal wear by any stretch. But Adele looked very piqued, how she looked downright pissed, and that didn't seem to make sense. So he ran it over again. Adele was half-dressed. Check. She was in the bathroom. Check. She was sitting down. Uh-oh. Kevin averted his eyes and snatched a towel from the rack before he could finish the thought. Oh, God, I'm sorry. I'll just... I'll just what were I, you thinking? Well, she knew her voice worked now. The little marble room rang with it. I didn't realize. I, I'm sorry. I'm Get out! Out of the corner of his eye, Kevin saw Adele grab the shower curtain and pull it across her lap. Kevin fumbled with the door handle with his right hand while he tried to cinch the towel around his waist with his left. When that didn't work, he switched hands and managed to stumble out the door and straight into another warm body that appeared unexpectedly in his path. Ugh. The figure staggered backwards. Kevin belatedly realized he'd knocked Katie for six when she bounced off the far wall of the hallway. The morning clearly didn't consider him a welcome guest. Katie, I... Oh, oh God. God, the hell with it! Kevin gave up and strode quickly back to his room, closing the door soundly behind him. The day already needed a do-over. When Kevin slammed the door, the hallway's hardwood made it sound more like a gunshot. Katie looked after him with a wry grin on her face, then turned her attention to the bathroom door and tapped lightly at it. Adele's voice, exasperated and near-ranting, came quickly. Goodness, man, wait your turn! Katie shook her head and smiled. Sorry, guess again. Oh, uh, sorry. <laughs> Just a second. Katie heard the toilet flush, and a moment later the water running briefly in the sink. Adele opened the door with a forced, cheerful, It's all yours. Oh, I'm okay. I'm just making sure you're not traumatized. Katie turned back towards her room. Adele followed close at her shoulder. Can you believe that guy? 
What happened? He blundered in without knocking, totally naked, and just, well, <laughs> stood there. And? You can't be serious. Katie paused at the door to her room, shouting, Oh, Kevin, it's safe now. Down the length of the hall. He carefully poked his head out the door, checked the hall, then scurried across the corridor in his bathrobe. Katie stepped into her room and turned her attention back to Adele. <laughs> You're gonna have to get used to it. If you want privacy in the bathroom, you're going to have to use the lock. Carol considers it gauche to leave the door open. Besides... She opened her closet door and started rummaging around. I thought you did those naked things. I know, I know. I'm the big-time photographer. But goodness. I mean, there's a time and a place for everything. And usually there's a lens between me and the full Monty. Well, if you don't get used to it this week... You're pretty much hopeless. She moved the box containing her plaster supplies and found her large leather portfolio behind it. Ah, here we go. Thanks for the vote of confidence. What are you doing? Katie pulled the portfolio out along with a tote bag full of supplies and held them up as if they explained something. Adele eyeballed her like a woman seeing a platypus for the first time. Uh, what's going on? This is what happens when you miss staff meetings in the mornings. She smiled and started for the door once again. Staff meetings? Oh, you do have a lot to learn. Don't worry. She stopped in front of Adele and handed her the portfolio, slung the bag strap over her shoulder, then took the portfolio back. We're just all comparing projects from last year. Come on, grab your portfolio. I'll catch you up. When he opened the case, the smell of rosin and old varnish wafted up his nostrils like sacramental incense. His well-weathered fingers ran from its bell, up the side of its body, over its shoulders, and to its neck before Garrett allowed himself to seize it. His left hand curled around the neck, his right took the bow in his hand, and he nestled the instrument under his chin. On a good day... He could play all day. After the awkwardness beginning last night, he wanted to cast his spell over the house and fill it with sounds more wholesome than last evening's bickering. The bow set to string, and he dragged it across. Slowly at first, but as her body warmed up, he played her faster and faster until the front room sang with the notes of the magic flute. This was one of Sarah's favorite tunes. She'd awoken almost as surly as Kevin had, so the first was for her. Two measures in, he could hear her feet tapping the tune as she mixed her French toast batter in the kitchen. The sound of Mozart on a fiddle filtered up through the floorboards. The deep blue sunlight sifted softly through his iced-over window and welcomed Amos to the new day. It would be a new day. You couldn't wake up to sun refracting in rainbows through ice on the window and to a violin singing like a castrato and not feel a surge of healing and optimism. Amos lay there for a few bars, his life, for the moment, marked by the measures of the music, with his face in the sun, bathing in the light. But his reverie couldn't continue even for the length of the tune. 
He was hungry, the kind of hunger he only felt after a long sleep on the heels of a late night. He wanted to get up and eat a bit of the world, swallow some life in big gulps. He rolled over, intending to hop out of bed and downstairs to breakfast, but the picture on the nightstand brought him up short. He shouldn't have brought it along, that small frame, but he knew that imagining it sitting back in his empty house on the coast would have haunted him even more. Amos clamped his eyes shut to hold back the tears and to shut her beautiful, beaming face out of his vision. It was a time for healing, not for licking his wounds. As the one-man symphony echoed through his room, Amos cradled his head in his hands for a few long moments, then stood up and walked out to face the day. Walking down the hall, he chanced to pass Adele's room. He stopped, intending to ask her down to breakfast, but through the crack in the door he saw her sitting on the edge of her bed, her head bowed over a Bible in her lap and the rosary beads lying on it. Her lips moved silently as she buttoned her top. Anything else he might have walked in on, but this was a more private activity than he cared to interrupt. Amos found his way down the stairs to the kitchen, where Katie and Sarah were busy botching French toast. And Gerd played on, moving seamlessly from the magic flute to a mishmash of themes from Peter Gint. He stood under the heating ducts, disconnected from everything but his music. It was okay to expose the violin to the heat for just a little bit. The notes bursting from the strings as they shivered beneath the bow found their way up the ducts to reverberate in the master bath where Carol reveled in the steam. She swayed to the music, cleansing her body of the night's grime and her mind of the fretting and clutter that had occupied her until bedtime last night. She'd been weeks preparing for the retreat, with more to do than she'd ever had to deal with in the previous years when they'd just rented a cabin. And now all of it was done, even the last-minute contingencies. There wasn't anything left for her to do but relax and hang on for the ride. The water dripped down over the snake winding perpetually along her back and fell to the floor of the shower, the splashing mixing brightly with the resonant strings serenading her through the duct. The strings continued to sing as Amos and Adele successfully evicted Katie from the kitchen and restarted breakfast. Gerd's fingers pressed and jumped and danced across the neck as he poured his soul through the steel and maple and spruce. Uh, no, no, Amos. Uh, here, hand me the nutmeg. Adele bumped Amos out of the way with her hip and took over the mixing bowl duties. Left to his own devices, he'd drown them all in cinnamon. She dropped another two eggs into the batter and whisked it around. Be sure to make some without eggs and milk for Jeremiah. Sarah's forcible eviction from cooking duties hadn't dampened her enthusiasm for the process. She sat Indian-style on the island, and until now Adele hadn't ever even heard of a backseat chef. She shouldn't have been surprised. Hedonism was the hallmark of this crowd, and hedonism wasn't just about sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Adele stretched her left arm out and pointed at the far corner of the counter, where two stacks of bread sat waiting. I've already thought about that. So what? Is he going to have dry toast? Amos busied himself with slicing the Jimmy Dean and the Linguisa. He's the... Nope. Adele didn't turn around and didn't care to explain herself, but Sarah persisted. Well, what you got for him? I made some berry syrup yesterday, and there's some hazelnut butter in the cupboard. Behind her, Adele heard Sarah slide off the counter. She jumped when she felt the younger woman's arms wrap around her and squeeze her tight. Thanks. You're a sweetie. Sarah kissed Adele on the cheek, then flounced out of the room. 
Adele shook her head, wondering what to make of it all. Having Amos here cooking with her helped. The mix of characters in this madhouse had her hopping from one foot to another, either enthralled and interested, or isolated and groundless. She still felt like she'd stumbled off a particularly violent merry-go-round between the hyperkinetic evening last night and being greeted by Kevin's penis in the bathroom this morning. Amos was a cynical, moody bastard, but ever since they'd met in college, he'd been a solid ground she could trust when the world refused to make sense. He was wrong about almost everything. Now that she thought about it, she couldn't think of a single thing she agreed with him about, but he never had been interested in pleasing anyone by bending to their will. She could trust who he was, which was more than she could say for the church that sponsored her, or for her other friends here stateside. She jolted back into the moment when Amos shoved a pile of sliced bread in front of her. Pumpernickel, sourdough, and oat. All three kinds shuffled together. What? Oh, thanks. Adele shook her head and started dipping slices of bread and handing them to Amos, who slapped them on the griddle and returned his attention to the melon baller. You gonna show off what you shot in Bangladesh? Adele shifted her weight to cover her discomfort. I don't think this crowd would appreciate it. You know, as deflections go, that's right up there with Pontius Pilate saying, What is truth? The squishing and light popping sound of the little plastic fruit scoop punctuated his words. Adele finished with the toast and started in on the coffee. Sorry, I didn't take rhetoric. You know, I remember... Oops. Amos put down the melon baller and leaned up against the counter. I remember what you were like in college. Oh? Yep. You were exactly the same way you are now. Even keeled to a fault. And this morning... Well, I haven't seen you this bitchy since you got back yeah, from... Yeah, 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 I know. She yanked a filter from the bag hard enough that it tore. Well? Adele put down the bag of filters and looked around, making sure nobody was within earshot. Look, I love you, I love Carol, and it was awfully sweet of you to invite me, but this... She jerked her head towards the door. I mean, can you really imagine me cavorting around with all these bohemians? Be, hon be honest, Amos. Honest? I don't know if I can do that. It's a tall order. He looked at her for a moment, as if choosing his words carefully. I can imagine a lot of things, but really, I don't think you'll ever feel at home anywhere. Here, at least, you can be yourself, which is more than I can say for a lot of places you spend your time when you're in the country. Adele nodded. Maybe. I don't know. They already know you're a missionary, and they still hang around you. Even though, I guarantee you, that not one of the other people here approves of that line of work. You already know I don't. But it's not my business. It's not their business. It's your life. Your values. Your business. You take great pictures. And you're a good person. That's what they'll care about. Or I don't know Carol's taste in people worth a damn. Adele chewed the thought over as she pulled out another coffee filter. She could feel Amos still standing there watching her, waiting for her to continue the conversation. The smell of the coffee was just dark enough to make the music make sense. Gerd's tripping tune filled the silence between them. The rest of the house was still pretty quiet, everyone mulling around waiting for their morning caffeine and calories. It's not a life I'd choose again, you know. Doing missions. I'd just go over and stay if, it, if I had it to do over again. She poured the water into a drip brewer. Why is that? 
Amos suppressed the edges of a smirk. She didn't have to look at him. She could hear it in his voice. Get tired of it. What you said. Not having a home. It grinds on you? It sucks. She smiled ruefully and took the batter bowl to the sink. You have to be a relativist to do it. When in Rome, when in Ethiopia, when in Bangladesh. Then you come home and everyone wants to hear your stories. How you helped feed the DACA homeless, or what it felt like to witness a female circumcision. But when you're here, you're supposed to be just as white as the people who never left. You also don't accept variations in your home culture like you do in other cultures. When I'm over there, I expect to have to eat bugs and see people get cut open in order to prove their adulthood. I come home, I want a little normalcy. Amos pursed his lips, not saying anything. He didn't need to. She could hear the hollowness of her point echoing quite well in her own head. I know, I'm a hypocrite. I don't like it. I guess I picked the one profession that pretty much guarantees I'll be homeless for life. Amos nodded and devoured a melon ball. Maybe. But it ain't all it's cracked up to be. You know what they say. Home is where the hurt is. Adele smiled. I can always count on you to be a ray of sunshine. That's what I'm here for. The coffee machine sputtered. Amos elbowed past her towards the cupboard and brought down a mug. Once he had poured his coffee, he took the kettle off the stove and filled it for the benefit of the tea drinkers. Breakfast saw a break in the music and a predictable melee of people rushing for the buffet that Amos and Adele spread out on the table. For the space of an hour, chatter filled the great room as all present relaxed and enjoyed the fact that nothing important was being discussed. Carol, from her perch in her nest chair, reveled in the sound and satisfaction, her body having finally found the full relaxation she sought this morning in the shower. When Gerd took up the bow again near noon, she was ready to move. He pitched up a lively and endless rendition of a tango blended improbably here and there with strains of La Marseille. Sarah gave him a rattly rhythm on the guitar, and Carol took the opportunity to indulge her itchy feet, dancing first with Amos, then Katie. When she spun Katie off to Amos and took Jeremiah in her arm, Gerd and Sarah stepped up to the tune. As Carol took and stamped her feet and dipped, her glow of exertion broadened into joy when she saw Katie dancing backwards to the staircase, drawing Amos up behind her. Jeremiah was spectacular, a credit to his profession. When he spun off to dance with Sarah, Kevin gallantly moved forward to fill the gap, his halting, awkward movements no match for Jeremiah's finesse. But what he lacked in suavity he made up for in spirit, and the two of them wove their way around Gerd and the couches and Kevin's easel until no corner of the carpet was left untrodden. All the while, Adele circled and ducked around the whole scene with her camera, clicking it in a discordant rhythm that filled in the few remaining gaps in the wall of sound. Worn out and panting after gods knew how long, Carol collapsed on the couch next to Amos's abandoned journal. He'd told her many times about his inability to compose and type at the same time. All the work he actually cared about, he did longhand. She resisted the temptation to peek inside at her competition, but just barely. He really was supposed to be sharing his art around, but she supposed that's what he was doing upstairs with Katie. 
Instead, she reached under the couch and pulled out her laptop and did her best to up her own word count for the day. Unfortunately, her current project revolved around futuristic Victorians in a steam-driven starship that pulled its heat from dark energy, and Spanish guitar with violin accompaniment didn't quite set a proper mood. Nor did the spectacle of Gerd's massive frame dancing while he played, nor of Sarah dancing back at him. The two of them pranced around like Nancing Elves from a bad internet knockoff of Lord of the Rings. Actually, the only two left in the room, besides herself. No, it wasn't very good for her word count, but it was good for her soul. Carol pulled up a fresh document and started working on the outline of a steampunk retelling of an old fable. She centered her cursor at the top of the page and typed, Jacqueline and the Beanstalk Giant. Far above the overcast and south of the canyon peaks, the sun slid well past its high point for the day. Beneath the clouds, in the canyon's shadows, the first flakes broke loose from the vapor and drifted lazily to the ground. After a few moments, the trickle ramped up to a torrent, the saucer-sized ice webs landing heavily and wetly on the not-yet-thawed glaze of ice that covered the ground. At about two in the afternoon, Katie alighted on the ground floor to find the great room nearly abandoned. Carol, perched on the couch nearest the fireplace, looked up from her laptop and raised a knowing eyebrow. But Katie didn't blush. She would have been surprised if Carol hadn't seen them leave, and her afternoon assignation had her feeling more than a little pleased with herself. Amos was relaxed for the first time since he'd arrived yesterday, and was back to cracking those god-awful jokes of his. She hoped it would last. Jeremiah, on the other hand, was nowhere to be found. He wasn't with Garrett and Sarah in the dining room. She was pretty sure he hadn't slipped away to bump uglies with Adele, and it didn't even cross her mind that he might have been with Kevin. The thought of the two of them getting close enough to hug was too comical for words. She conducted a little recon mission back upstairs, checking even Carol's room just in case she'd missed some subtext the previous evening, but all she found up there was Amos lying on his bed reading a novel of some kind. Poking around downstairs again yielded a lot of empty rooms, and the only new people she found were Adele and Kevin arguing amiably at a card table over a bottle of wine. There were a lot of other things she'd rather be doing, like comparing portfolios with Adele. He wasn't her responsibility, but he seemed to connect with her a lot better than he was connecting with anyone else, and she wanted to make sure he had a good time. It would be better for everyone all around if he did. Of course... Being gorgeous didn't hurt his cause, probably made up for a few shortcomings in other areas, but Katie didn't mind. By process of elimination, Katie eventually found herself walking the circuit of the wraparound front patio swaddled in her coat. She found him around the side, sitting on the floor with his back against the house, looking out at the horizon. He was still in his shirt sleeves and shivering. He didn't take any notice of her. She walked right up beside him and rested her fingers on his scalp. Jeremiah wasn't a tall man, but she was short enough that she didn't have to bend or stretch to touch him. Sarah? It was the only thing she could think to say. He nodded. She settled down next to him. Tell me why you came. <laughs> oh, you know how it is. You're on a show and everyone's either your best friend or your worst enemy. The director, the choreographer, their whole job is to manipulate us to get the best performances they can. 
and fuck you if you're having a bad day and can't get it up to snuff. He hugged his knees tightly to his chest. Sarah's a bitch. No two ways about it. Manipulative, sharp-tongued bitch. His tone was bitter as a lemon peel, but there was something else in there, too. A strange kind of whimsy. Doesn't sound like a good reason to me. Not unless... She stopped when she felt Jeremiah shift uncomfortably next to her. Bingo. I was hoping... He trailed off again, and looked off to the nearly solid sheet of heavy snow descending just past the end of the deck. Ah, so you... Normally, she'd have just said, get off on being beaten up, but she bit her tongue. He needed something gentler. You like a woman who's in control. I guess you could say that. And you... Yeah. She wasn't sure what to say to reassure him. Sarah had been a bottom since high school, well, a bottom in bed anyway. Every time she tried to switch, she wound up bottoming from the top, an experience which more than one of her lovers had complained about to Katie over the years. Shit, I wish I could go home. You know, Jeremiah, Carol's not the only one handy with a riding crop. Katie touched the back of his head again and trailed her fingers down by his ear into his neck, where she slowly gripped and tightened her hands slightly. He inhaled sharply, but didn't do anything to stop her. And there may be a way for you to be with her if you give it a couple days. Katie squeezed his neck and used her other hand to turn his head to her. She kissed him roughly, making sure to bite at his bottom lip. When she allowed him to pull back, she saw an unmistakable hunger in his eyes. You think so? Don't question me. He dipped his eyes, then smiled. Yes, ma'am. Now I know you're lying. Kevin lifted his eyebrows at Adele in a challenge. <laughs> did I shatter your fragile worldview? It never did. I refuse to believe it. He reached for the bottle and topped off his glass. Adele raised her right hand solemnly. My hand to God. Right there on the roof of the church? She nodded. They came out beautifully. You have to show me. He picked up his glass and stood. Now? Pictures or it didn't happen. All right, you're on. She stood, grabbing her glass, and led him into the living room where she retrieved her laptop from under the long couch. Adele was right. They were good. No, far beyond good. They were nothing short of stunning. It was a series of shots featuring an Indian girl on a church roof. The first picture showed her leaning outward from the steeple, her nude body arcing out from her hands and then curving back in with her legs where her toes rested on a lip. The cloth of her red sari was tied around the cross and tumbled down past the bottom of the frame like blood from a wound. Behind her, the roofs of a shanty town glinted in the setting sun, and the orb formed a second cross as it flared between her body and the steeple and smeared across the lens. Popping up as if out of nowhere, Katie elbowed Kevin out of the way a bit and jockeyed for a good viewing angle. Kevin looked around to see where she'd come from, only to find Jeremiah behind her, looking like a loyal puppy. He wondered what she'd done to brighten him up. Mamma mia. Del, that's gorgeous. How did you manage? She was begging me to shoot her for days. That Sunday evening, the service was going on, and the light was perfect. She started flipping through the other shots in the series. 
We just worked really fast. Got out before anyone knew we were missing from the service. Katie patted Adele on the shoulder. Kevin, on the other hand, sat in awe until Adele had finished the series. When she was done, it was all he could do not to take the computer away from her. He wanted to go over the images and savor them all again. He shook his head in wonder. You have an amazing eye. Thank you. He couldn't be sure, but he thought he heard a blush creep into her voice. The late afternoon cloud break didn't stop the snow, but it did let enough of the light through to paint the inside of the solarium a gentle orange as the banks of powder piled up past head height in the backyard. Carol and Kevin enjoyed the glow from the spa as they listened to Sarah excitedly recount her adventures from the past year. Katie lobbed the occasional rhetorical bombshell at them from the weight bench where she spotted for Jeremiah, who was diligently bench-pressing according to her bidding. As an effort to distract him from Sarah by pushing his sub-buttons, it was only a partial success. Katie caught him stealing repeated glances at Sarah throughout the conversation, each glimpse of her body increasing the sound of frustration in his breathing. Katie sighed to herself, beginning to suspect that her plan to give him a place was doomed before it really got going. Oh well. The sun was beautiful, and the laughter of her family buoyed her spirits and put her up to the unnecessary, and probably impossible, task. Soon the clouds would close again, and the snow would intensify. And when that happened, that would be beautiful too. You've been listening to Episode 5 of Down From 10, written and performed by J. Daniel Sawyer. Additional music by Mozart and Carlos Gardel, with additional engineering by Lynx Crow. Starring T. Morris as Amos Maple, Philippa Ballantyne as Carol Lewis, Nathan Lowell as Gerd Falkstein, Miss Callender as Sarah Evans, Kitty Nakian as Katie Sato, Nobilis Reed as Kevin Walden, Chris Lester as Jeremiah Evans, and Christiana Ellis as Adele Surhan. Some sounds courtesy the Free Sound Project at www.freesound.org. Other sounds copyright 2009 Kitty Nakian and Artistic Whispers Productions. This audiobook is recorded, edited, and mixed at Artistic Whispers Productions in Castro Valley, California. The book is copyright 2009 J. Daniel Sawyer, based on a screenplay copyright 2008 J. Daniel Sawyer, and the recording is copyright 2009 Artistic Whispers Productions. This recording is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.5 license, and all other rights are reserved to the author. A cowboy on the run to keep his soul. A vampire running a Nigerian investor scam. A wolf racing to the mountaintop before a dragon can catch and kill him. A human protecting one of the aliens he fought in war from his old army buddy. Meet these and other heroes and villains in Serving Worlds. The genre-blending podcast fiction collection by John Miro. For more information, visit johnmiro.com. That's J-O-H-N-M-I-E-R-A-U dot com. Weekly episodes are 20 minutes or less. But beware, there be cliffhangers here. Hello, this is Mildred Katie, and you're listening to Down From Ten. 
Now there's a retreat I wouldn't mind attending, if it weren't for the mysterious figure executing presumably nefarious and as yet undefined plans that we saw at the end of the last episode. Now, as I promised a few weeks back, I'll tell you a little bit about the history behind Down From Ten. Unlike with Predestination, I can't tell you the whole story until the end of the book, because some of it contains spoilers, and being a mystery, this really isn't the kind of story I should spoil. You might kill me. But the part of the story I can tell you is that I was called up by a friend who was bootstrapping a production company in Newfoundland. They were working on a financial deal for three pictures, which would go as TV movies on CBC. I've worked with this guy before, and he likes my stuff, and I like working with him, and he said, I need screenplays! Well, I keep a stack of treatments around, so I picked up a handful that would fit his budgetary requirements and sent them off. A few days later, he picked his top three, and at the top of the stack was the treatment that would become Down From Ten. He was emphatic. He said, Start with this one. Make it really controversial. So I did. I wrote the screenplay over 27 days in January of 2008, realizing halfway through that I was writing a miniseries. The production company reacted with, Can we still shoot it on budget? Great, go for it. By February, I had 300 pages of screenplay, a little under six hours. By Valentine's Day, I'd done a good revision for timing, bringing each episode to 50 minutes exactly, with expendable padding built in for syndication cuts. We were ready to go, and started working on budget breakouts and scheduling, and I started making notes for the second screenplay, and I'll tell you the rest next time. I know, I'm a bastard. Deal with it. On to other news. You can now find tip jars at all of the jdsawyer.net websites. If you enjoy the shows, please do drop a few bucks in. And now, the time has come. Check out the blog, all three blogs, for information on how to get a poster-sized version of the Predestination artwork signed and numbered by me. Remember also, if you're listening on the Antithesis feed, only the first ten episodes of Down From Ten will be posting there. After that, you'll need to switch either to the Down From Ten feed or to the jdsawyer.net uber feed, which is, of course, the one I recommend, because there you can find all my stuff in one feed. And you can find all the feeds in the right sidebar at www.jdsawyer.net. Thank you for the feedback you keep sending in. I'm really enjoying it. There'll be a feedback show after episode 7 where I'll answer all your questions that aren't spoilery. And remember, you can leave questions, comments, criticisms, and death threats, or whatever else you like except for spam, at feedback at jdsawyer.net or on the blog at downfrom10.jdsawyer.net. You can call and leave voicemail at area code 206-350-5739. And of course, if you're enjoying yourself, please do tell your friends. Next week, night falls on the mansion once again. And, as we all know... Strange things can happen in the dark. So remember always, you can make the whole world end if you but count down from ten.